worship lesson this evening was about the Word of God, and uh, I love to talk about the Word of God. I thought of a little anecdote I heard uh, before. <clears throat> it was a, a W.C. Fields, I think it was. Yes, W.C. Fields, which was a noted unbeliever and uh, a friend on his deathbed, and a friend came in and saw him flipping through the Bible, was kind of surprised because he was not a believer, and he says, what are you doing? And he said, I am looking for loopholes. Uh, not very smart to do because there's no loopholes in the Bible. We need to believe it, read it, read it and believe it and live by it. And uh, so that's what we want to do and encourage around here is uh, getting into the Word of God. Acts chapter 17. In every ministry that we are involved in, we face problems. Every minister, every church is going to face problems. Every Ministry that you involve yourself in uh, will have problems. Uh, problems from the outside and problems from the inside. Uh, if you are trying to raise a family for God, you're going to experience problems. No matter what you do for God, you'll see problems come and difficulties come. Now, I should mention that I think it's obvious to any of us that inside problems are more difficult to overcome than outside problems. Uh, things that are attacked from the outside tend to get stronger. Think, things that are attacked from the inside are often suffer loss. Excuse me. We see that in the, uh, in the in just the local church. You don't have to look any further than that to see the local church as a whole. Under persecution, the local church flourished. Uh, for many, many years, even centuries, the church flourished under persecution. It grew. It was purified under persecution. Now the church, in, especially in America, for the past few hundred years, we have been uh, plagued by popularity. and I mean, that's a good thing. We're glad that we're not under persecution. But popularity has done more to dilute the power of the church than persecution ever did. Because what we have is outside attacks did not kill or weaken the church. It strengthened it, but inside attacks uh, causes many problems. Now, Carl Perkins did say this. I think this is a, a, something for us to remember. If it weren't, if it weren't for the rocks in, the, in its bed, the stream would have no song. And uh, we're going to have problems, but uh, it, that doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean we don't continue the work. And that doesn't mean that it isn't sweet in the process, even despite the problems. So Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 14 tonight, we'll read. And we're going to see here how Paul deals with problems. Now the specific problems we'll talk about tonight are more outside than inside, <clears throat> but we uh, deal with those also. Uh, first, uh, or Acts chapter 17, verse 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Am uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that, that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and brought to bring, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren and to the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Just stop and think about that statement. 
These that have turned the world upside down. That is not a slick marketing campaign by the Jerusalem church. That's the enemy saying that. These people have turned the world upside down. I wish that the city council and, and our city leaders would accuse us of that. Amen? Turning the world upside down. Whom Jason hath received, that these all do contrary to the degrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, <coughs> one Jesus. This is that, that age-old, they love to do, throw the treason thing out there, and this is what they're doing here. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken the security of Jason, and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who com coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in, their, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was being preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look through these uh, short verses here and spend a few minutes just seeing what you have for us. May you be a help. In Jesus' name, amen. Talk tonight about handling problems. We see first, actually we kind of saw last time, the problem of, of social practice. One of the things we learn in the book of Acts is how Paul dealt with these various types of issues. In the last chapter, we saw how he dealt with the problem of slavery. This is a social problem. Uh, the slavery was widely accepted, uh, as, a, as a practice in the Rome, Roman world. Now, I'm talking about the girl that was kept as a slave. Uh, the chapter highlights some other problems, but he, he dealt with that uh, in chapter 16. How does the church then, how should we confront the evils of society? I mean, is it appropriate that we stand outside abortion clinics with signs, yelling at traffic as they go past? Uh, what is the New Testament answer to social injustice? These are hard questions to answer. In fact, I challenge you, you ask ten preachers and you'll get ten different answers on this subject. Now, you're fortunate tonight, you'll of course get the right answer, amen, because it's me after all, so uh, that's how everybody would believe about themselves. But it's noteworthy here uh, that Paul made no attempt to change society. His mission was to change people. Let me just stop there because this is revolutionary to many of our thinking. We're not here to afflict societal change. We're here to save and change people. That was what Paul's focus was in his ministry. He did not use his Roman citizenship, his influence with people. He did not use the power of his pen. He did not use his ability to fundraise. Paul was a phenomenal fundraiser. You can see that throughout the scriptures. People that had nothing to give still gave when Paul asked for it. He was good at that. But he did not use this to try to change society. He did not run for political office. He did not try to influence those in power. He did not organize a peaceful demonstration or a protest march. He did none of the things that many churches in our time today think are just normal activities. And there were big problems in Roman society. There were tremendous injustices. There was blatant wickedness. You talk about discrimination that we have a deal with even today or talk about a lot. This, this was uh, appalling in Roman times. So what did Paul do? He preached the gospel. His job was to win men to Christ. 
when people get saved, it affects the consciousness of the conscience, I should say, of the public. And as far and then a society will become more moral. Yeah, an example of that uh, is uh, the various revivals that have taken place in our land. Now, as far as Paul was concerned, it was not his business, even as a Roman citizen, to meddle in politics. His job was to win people to Christ. Now, this is kind of big for us to consider. It flies in the face of my political bent. I, I love politics. I, I think people know that about me. Now, I quit watching the news in December. All, uh, completely. I've turned it off. I don't think we have news anymore. I think it's a social indoctrination anyway. But So I've just pretty much turned it off. And not near, I've, I've tried to refocus or recalibrate my uh, focus a little bit. Uh, and this is one of the reasons, because I look at, at a society that the apostles lived in that was pure de-evil. And we're heading towards that if we're not already there. Uh, so Paul did not preach, uh, or uh, sorry, he did preach that believers ought to treat their brothers and sisters in Christ a certain way. He goes all throughout uh, the fruits of the Spirit. He talks about how we ought to treat one another. But he does not ever preach that unsaved people or general society do that. You never see him telling unsaved people how to act. There is no universal brotherhood apart from the universal fatherhood of God. There's no universal brotherhood of man apart from the universal fatherhood of God. So we can't expect unsaved people to act like saved people. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We get shocked at the wickedness of our society. I remember telling my dad that when I, first, when I got my first job. I, was, I went to public school in elementary, so it wasn't as bad as sometimes they can get. And then I went to Christian school all my life. All my activities were in church, and, so, and I lived way out in the farm. I didn't really have much, much exposure to the world. Then I got a job in fast food, and I heard things <laughs> I had never heard before in my life. I couldn't believe how people my age talked. And I remember telling my dad about it. I was just appalled. You wouldn't believe the language and how they act and what they talk about and the filth that I'm hearing every day. And it was just a shock to my system. And I remember he, he sat down and explained to me, what do you expect? They're unsaved. I mean, don't be surprised. The world's going to be the world. You can't expect unsaved people to act saved. We can expect saved people to act saved, aren't we? But today, and often in our churches, the focus, especially folks in our church, they put more focus on how the world ought to be, how society ought to be, while they uh, backbite and fight and conflict inside the walls of the church. We ought to do what Paul did, he put the focus on the saved people. So to deal with societal problems, Paul worked at winning people to Christ. Then he taught them how to love. Then he taught them how to treat one another. Paul pressed godly love in the family of God. He did not fight for social change in an unbelieving world. Now, I, I just keep pounding this because I think it's kind of flipped a little bit in today's day and age. Churches see it as their job to affect societal change. And that's true really only to the point that we win people to Christ, and that's what affects societal change, amen? That's how we want to change uh, people by changing their hearts. Now, I will tell you, Paul's way of operating may not be as flashy as Rick Warren's way. Uh, and Paul's way might not get quite the immediate results as some of these different people do in our society today. However, it is longer lasting and it's genuine when it comes about. So, how, so did it work? These 
believers did make a social mark. Remember I said he didn't do anything, you don't find anywhere in the New Testament, Paul's writings, where he did anything to try to affect social change, and yet, look at what the unsaved said about him. Verse 6, these that have turned the world upside down. So, in having no effort to affect societal change, did he? Absolutely he did. But he did it the right way, winning people to Christ. True revival, or, or social upheaval, is not the objective. It is a byproduct of the gospel. True revival always ends up in the cleaning up of society. You, uh, I mentioned revivals a while ago. If you ever do any reading about the Great Awakening, that really shaped the early colonies here in the 1730s. Our, our, uh, our America, in fact, many people think that, that, that the uh, Great Awakening is what really trickled up to the revolution when we, when we realized God's, uh, what God meant for men and the freedom of mankind and how God created each and every one of us for freedom. And, and so uh, this really all came about from the Great Awakening. It altered the religious climate at that day. Today we put a lot of time in worrying and stressing about our nation, and I'm one of them. I, I, it grieves me to see what's happening in our nation. We see the degradation, the deterioration of our nation. We wonder what we can do about it. The best thing you can do, in my opinion, is keep supporting the local church. Keep, keep uh, you know, we had a church planner in last week, and we keep uh, investing in, in planting churches, and these dark, uh, spiritually dark places in America need to be enlightened with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to put the effort into that. So you have the problem of social practice. Then you also have the problem of religious prejudice. Now look at number, verse number 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where it was a synagogue of the Jews. Now Paul's master plan for missions was to evangelize a city, leave behind him a mission-minded church, then move to another population center and do the same thing. He largely left the rural areas to the responsibility of these new churches. This is different than much of our focus has been in missions out of America. All the way back since David Livingston, uh, many, most missionaries have concentrated on the bush. There's always been a fascination with, with the wild tribes and the deep jungles. And yes, they need to be evangelized. Uh, but we have, in, in some people's thinking, and, and if, you, if you look at it, I guess you could argue either point, but a lot of times we've uh, missed the large cities and forsaken them to go to these jungles when there's millions of people stacked upon millions of people in cities like Hong Kong and Beijing and these different places. Now, in recent years, I think this has changed a little bit. I've noticed as missionaries come, there's a lot more that are going to population centers, and I think that's a good thing. Look at Paul's method, verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Opposition did not develop at once. Now, they had excellent credentials. Paul, in today's vernacular, was Dr. Paul. He would have had a doctorate and a Ph.D., and he had all kinds of... Uh, uh, he, he would have had letters behind his name. He was very uh, educated. Silas uh, had the appeal of being from Jerusalem. Timothy... Having submitted to circumcision, like we talked last week, this would have meant a lot to the Jewish leaders. So they gave their pulpit to Paul, and they did so for three Sabbaths. Now we can assume there was a lot of discussion. In fact, the Bible says he reasoned with them. Uh, there was discussion during these weeks. Uh, Paul could debate the Scriptures like no other. Man, I'd have loved to have seen some of those conversations going on. 
So that was Paul's method. Then look at his message, verse number 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul's message, the Messiah has come. The Jewish ideal, as we heard this morning, and we see in the triumphal entry, was not a redeemer, but a ruler. That's what they wanted. One who had smashed the power of Rome. But this was not the Jesus that they, that, this was not the Messiah that Jesus was, as we heard this morning. And some of them believed and consorted, verse 4, with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So revival broke out. A number of Jews got saved, and then a large number of Greeks were also saved. What was the draw? Well, people were attracted to the synagogue because they rejected polytheism and paganism and all those things. But then they would come to the synagogue and they find out that they had to be circumcised to become a Christian. Well, now this message was different. Now Paul is preaching a message of the gospel, message uh, salvation by grace. And, of course, this whole uh, religious requirement had been put aside by the Jerusalem Council as it should have been because it wasn't Bible, it was religion. And so now people were flocking and getting saved. We see later in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 when he writes back to these folks that it was mostly Gentiles. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So most of these were Gentiles getting saved. Then you saw hostility, verse 5. The Jewish leaders rejected Christ, but that wasn't enough. They, held a, they were very angry with anybody who would accept Christ. They couldn't put a stop to this movement. So there's one way they could attack. They would rouse a mob, and that's what they did. It's interesting who they found. They took unto them, verse 5, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. The word for lewd is paneris. It means evil, wicked, bad. The baser sort comes from a word that means idlers, loungers, or the common sort. This, again, is very much like people today who want to cause trouble in a church. Many times they have all kinds of time on their hands. They want to start trouble. And so they associate themselves with the same crowd the religious leaders here did. Lewd fellows of a baser sort. This is what happens when you want to attack a man of God or the work of God. This is who people will attach themselves to. Folks who are dissenters in a church usually do not go to the most spiritual in the church. They go to this group, lewd fellows of the baser sort. So they use, uh, using mob psychology, they gathered a company. This was the first organized protest. <laughs> they still have groups in Seattle and such, but uh, they gathered a company. They stormed the house of Jason, probably one of Paul's Jewish converts in town. It looks like that's where Paul was staying. Verse 6, and they found them not. They drew Jason and certain brethren into the rulers of the city. Paul and his friends were gone. They seized Jason and the other believers, dragged them off to the authorities. Look again what they cried, crying, these have turned the world upside down. What a tribute to the power of the gospel. Whenever Paul went, wherever Paul went, things happened. You know, in that way, I kind of want to be like Paul. You know, not just, just, he caused a disruption wherever he went, in a good way. Uh, souls were saved, decisions made, lines were drawn. Paul didn't slip into town and no one knew about it. I mean, he went into town and it was like a nuclear bomb went off. He, was, he went right to the, to the den of the lion, the synagogue, and hit him right there, and he made an impact. Jew, uh, Jason here was arraigned. Uh, the level, uh, the uh, charge of treason was given toward him there. 
Verse 8, and they troubled the people and rulers of the city when they heard these things. The charge disturbed the rulers, but they really couldn't, uh, it wasn't much to back up the charge here. Uh, there, there was, they obviously were not uh, trying to preach against Caesar, they were just preaching Christ. Uh, so add to the fact that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, that would have made them doubly careful how they treated them. Something had to be done though, and so they... Verse 9, when they had taken security or arrested Jason and the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night to Berea. It seems like uh, Jason might have agreed to take the fall or the punishment so the missionaries could get away. They had to leave and they did so, it seems, permanently. Paul saw this as I would see it, any type of attack on the church like this, and that is as it would come from Satan. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And this is the frustrating aspect of ministry. When good things are happening, people are being saved, revival is breaking out, church is growing, and then people come to hinder it. It's just, it's just a part of ministry. As I said in the beginning, every ministry has those type of problems. As God always has his people to do a work, Satan always has his people to do a hindrance. And so it's just something we have to deal with. Now, I like this statement by one preacher. Every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. The, the key is that we don't quit. We keep right on going. Now, Paul did this. He went to Berea. And he keeps right on going here. He says uh, in, in verse 10, who coming thither went to the synagogues of the Jews. Uh, and he just keeps on going. Uh, the Holy Spirit shows how Paul uh, can't, can't be in Thessalonica. By the way, Paul still had a ministry in Thessalonica. You know how? He started writing letters to him. He wrote 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, which we still have. You still have them in your Bible. Uh, this was a new method of evangelism. Uh, the written word, I love how God's people will find a way and how God finds a way to get the word out. It's one of the reasons I love our missionary to North Korea. I mean, it's one of the most unique ministries that we support. Drones, dropping things, and, uh, you know, the gospel's going to, and, and it's one of the areas, too, he has no idea, he can't know what kind of impact he's having. He might be having a great impact, he might not be having as much as he expects. We don't know. Until we get to heaven, we won't know probably. But the word's getting out, and God will find a way. And I love that, uh, seeing that all throughout the Bible. So these two letters that Paul wrote would have instructed and encouraged the Thessalonians, but also down through the centuries, millions have been saved by reading these letters and had their faith increased. So Paul gets to Berea. Uh, he goes right to the synagogue. Shows he didn't learn anything from Thessalonica. Uh, they didn't stop him. Uh, maybe we ought to sneak in and have an underground evangelism. Oh, let's go to the synagogue. We'll start preaching from the, from the rooftops again. So he did that. Uh, he, he did believe the Jews had first claim to the gospel. No matter how bitterly he was persecuted by unbelieving Jews, uh, he went uh, right where he would have the most impact. Uh, these were no, more noble, verse 11, than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. The word for noble there is Eugenus. It means well-born or high-born. Uh, apparently the Jews at Berea were of a slightly higher class and then they also received the word 
better there. They had a readiness of mind about them. And imagine Paul's excitement at meeting people like this who were ready to drink in what he had to say. He had a tremendous burden for these people. Romans 10.1, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Usually they fought him bitterly. They attacked him constantly. But uh, that did not stop him from going to them. But here at Berea was a group of Jews that received the word with all readiness of mind. Look at verse number 11 again. And they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Paul welcomed that. The, his gospel, his preaching could, could stand the test of examination. It didn't bother him if people are studying the Scriptures. Uh, that's a good thing. All teaching and preaching ought to be subjected to the test of Scripture. I, uh, you say, Pastor, you want that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, if the preaching from this pulpit is from the Bible, it's not a threat that you go to the Bible to check me out. Amen? And I've had people come and tell me, and, and I'll have to go back, oh my, I did say that, didn't I? Or something that was said wrong, or uh, maybe I was off in something. I, I won't even go into it. No, no need to go over past mistakes. Amen? We'll just go forward. Forward, not backward. But uh, once in a while, that happens, and that's fine, as long as it's done in the right spirit. Uh, preaching, if it's from the Bible, it's not a threat that people search the Bible to see if these things are so. And uh, people did that. It was commendable. Verse 12, Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. This word honorable refers to rank. It's the same word that was used to describe Joseph of Arimathea in Luke 23, 50. Their attitudes were right. Their intentions were pure. The Bible study that resulted from his preaching convicted and convinced many people. He had many converts. But he had conflicts. This amazes me. I read verse 13, and I've read it before, but I read it and I was just shaking my head when I read this. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul and Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Why does it matter to you? You're in Thessalonica. You, you done threw Paul out of town. Why does it bother you? Here he's in another city preaching the gospel. They hear about it. Oh, let's get this mob over and go there and, and disrupt him over there. This is amazing, unthinkable to me. Word gets back that they hadn't silenced him. And so here they come. They made the trip to try to stop him here too, to incite another riot against him. And there's something incredibly sad about this verse. What made them so upset? Was Paul's preaching anti-Semitism? No. Was he gathering an army to revolt against Rome? No. Was he preaching insurrection? No. He was preaching the Word of God. And this made them furious. They didn't want it themselves, but they didn't want anyone else to have it either. Now, not much has changed. That's why there's books written like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and many, many others. That's why these books are written to try to dissuade people and take them away from Christianity because it's not enough for me to reject your God. I don't want anybody else to accept Him either. It's wickedness. They hated Him because He preached the truth. And so they went out of their way to be a hindrance. Verse 14, Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. When Paul arrived at Berea, he didn't know a soul. It was a city of strangers. Now he has brethren there. Isn't the family of God a wonderful thing? I love it. The members of Paul's new family were concerned of his safety. 
hustled him out of town. He was an obvious target. It was against him rather than Silas and Timothy that the hatred of the Jews was directed. And so they stayed and he got out and he went uh, yet ready for another chapter in his ministry, as we'll see uh, in the weeks to come. It's a great pattern for us to deal with problems that will always be there. If we just continue to put the focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, problems will come, but we need to deal with them uh, by giving, just continuing with the work. Experts tell us that a dense fog covering a city seven blocks, doing a seven-block square of a city, 100 feet deep, contains less than one glass of water. Think about that. Seven blocks square, 100 deep feet deep, dense fog, less than one glass of water. This amount of water is divided into billions and billions of tiny droplets. And then these tiny droplets settle over a city and they can almost blot everything out of your sight. You've driven in fog here in our area. And in, all, in, a, in a big area... It might only be just a cup of water, but it's split up and it can cripple our progress. Many Christians today live their lives in a fog. They allow a cup full of trouble to cloud their vision and dampen their spirits. It's not as big as sometimes we make it out to be, but we allow anxiety, turmoil, and defeat to stop our forward progress. Our lives can be choked with the cares of this life, like it tells us in Roman, or Luke chapter 8, verse 14. But God, 2 Timothy 1.7, hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we need to not let the fog of trouble get us down. I love how Paul responded. He just kept on preaching the gospel. He got thrown in prison here. He went to there, preached the gospel there. Got run out of town there, didn't get discouraged. He went and to another town and preached the gospel. And we're going to continue to see that. Man, talk about faithfulness. Just keeping on in the work. And it's one of the biggest problems in our day today. I can't remember the exact number, but I saw the other day how many Baptist churches shut their doors in 2020. We've got a lot more shutting their doors than we have opening their doors. And people are quitting all over the place. And a lot of it is because of the trouble that we face. We're going to have troubles. We're going to have conflicts. What do we do? We keep on going forward like Paul did. He didn't stop preaching. He just If it took him to another town, he preached where he was. He was like a flower that bloomed where he was planted. Sometimes he was uprooted, put in a different area. What did he do? He bloomed over there. And he made an impact. How are we going to turn our world upside down is by being faithful, continuing to go forward in, this, in spite of trouble. Father, we thank you for the example that we have in Scripture. We pray that we would be as faithful as Paul.